Left Right Radio with yours truly, Chuck Morse. Monday through Friday, every afternoon at 12 noon. Otherwise, sometimes not exactly 12 noon, whatever. This is internet, so we can, we've got some leeway uh, with regard to when we go on and not. Uh, my guest is Hal Shirtliff. Hal is the director of Camp Constitution. He's a longtime Boston area political activist. Um, has gotten into a lot of very interesting causes over the years, including uh, flying a flag with a cross on it in front of the Boston City Hall. How shocking. Um, Hal, I want to talk a little bit today about the um, controversy that's emanated from the Parkland shooting in that the students seem to have broken down into two groups, one of them very much taking a left-wing position regarding gun control, the other more conservative position, and I think that's understandable. Uh, but, of course, the liberal guys are getting all the attention. They had a big march. Um, I'm reluctant to criticize them too much because they've been through a terrible trauma. You know, you don't have a sign every day that somebody shows up at your school with an, with an AR-15 and starts murdering students. So, you know, I want to proceed with some caution. However, um, Laura Ingram, uh, fellow talk show host, has gotten in trouble for making mildly derisive remarks about one of the students, that being David Hogg, when she talked about how, uh, you know, he was whining because he wasn't accepted at certain colleges, uh, you know, she was using classic talk radio type jargon, and maybe she needs to get a little bit used to being on television where it's a little different type of a media. And it wasn't probably the best thing for her to have done. It would be much better to, for them to take on the student, um, you know, in, in terms of their issues and their, their call for like very extreme gun control. But nevertheless, the response from the student has been classic leftism and again i say this in the context that these are students they're not fully developed i think they're being used frankly by people but he's his his comments are she doesn't really mean it after she apologized and that when she insults one of us she insults all of us and that basically i speak for all the students putting aside the fact that they shut out anyone that didn't agree with them for their for their sunday rally and that he wants, he then he then published a list of her sponsors, and asked that people boycott the sponsors. Now the result has been that several of these companies, which are big companies, are now dropping out of sponsorship of her show, and that she's taken a one week leave of absence. Now, um, you know, I find this situation to be quite chilling. I mean, I've, I've been listening to left wing radio particularly progressive radio, people like Michael Signorelli, and they're rejoicing. They're like, oh, look at this. Look at the power we have. We can drive conservatives off the air now if they say something we don't like. And, and you know, she said something very mild, putting that aside. The fact is that, to my way of thinking, this is a very, very troubling development. What say you? Well, the first thing is, is this fellow David Hogg, he has – he. The fact that he's made himself a public figure or people have made him a public figure means he should be uh, prone to criticism. And whether you like it or not, uh, may maybe she shouldn't have made those comments, but I don't see it as a knockout factor. She didn't really get nasty. I mean, you can put on Chenk Uger and he's the, you know, foul mouth and cursing people all the time. Yeah, Stephanie and, Miller. You know, mm -hmm. so, uh, uh, but I think you're right. They're being used. There's no question about it. They're not... The public, I call them government indoctrination centers, public schools, 
should not be a place for politi- be politicized, but they have been for quite a long time. I attended a public school in the 70s. I think you probably did around that same time frame, maybe yeah. a little later. And uh, we, I was in the height of forced busing, and we had a few walkouts. We had a few riots, but it, uh, the teachers never encouraged us to uh, fight a, a, a forced busing or support forced busing. It was just ridic- ridiculous that they would engage in this. But not only the teachers, but the principals. And it's happened all over the country. And my comment about the walkouts is I'm okay with them walking out, but they should stay out and not go back in. They should completely <laughs> Because these public schools, as our late mentor Sam Blumenfeld said, they're dangerous, not just mentally, but they're dangerous physically. And this demonstrates that. This uh, young man who was involved in the shooting, Mr. the young man Cruz, he is a, a product of the government schools. You don't see this happening in Christian schools, parochial schools, or home schools. And they're not asking the right question. What causes these people to snap? Is it because they were bullied? Is it because uh, you know they broke up with his girlfriend or what happened? How come these things didn't happen back in the 60s, 70s, 50s, and, and, and earlier? How come they're sort of happening in the last 20 years? I think the first one was actually a young lady who uh, shot a few people. I don't think she might have killed one person. This was in Kentucky, I think. She had broken up with a boyfriend. But uh, most of these people are, that are engaging in these activities are are under uh, the psychotropic drugs. You and know, that's now, the, the bigger issue. Yeah, and absolutely. So. And I think that um, the we're getting we're losing sight of the real question here, which you have got up brought up exactly, and that is what is going on with these young students to the degree that they would show up at a school and start killing people like that. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I mean, I remember being in in elementary school, junior high school, there would be an occasional fist fight and you'd have a fist fly here and there. But the the idea of, of this sort of thing was unthinkable back then. And it wasn't because there's more guns available now, because in fact, there was more guns available back then. Absolutely. In fact, I remember growing up in Quincy, you could buy a gun over the counter at at the Woolworths, and it didn't require all that much. I mean, so, you know, know, guns were, you know, are actually more difficult to get now. So it's not really that. It has to do with the, uh, you know, the conditioning, as you imply quite accurately, of our young people. Um, the late, great Sam Blumenfeld has written a lot about this. So he has a shelf of books about it, including his last book, which was Crimes of the Educators. How our young people have been, you know, conditioned, how they've been doc- indoctrinated, how they've lost the ability or the, the lessons to how to think cognitively. Instead, they, they, they're treated to behaviorism and, uh, and the removal of God and the removal of the Bible from the schools, which started in 1962 with a Supreme Court decision and which led to a sense of alienation. There's no prayer at the beginning of the class day. They no longer even say Pledge of Allegiance to the flag anymore. Maybe they do it once or twice a year. And, um, you know, there's certainly you can't find a constitution at the school. And, <laughs> and you know, our young people are taught in a way that uh, – they're, 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 it's, it's a deliberate and conscious way to create confusion and, uh, and dissonance in their minds. So as a result, you get people with 
emotional problems, learning disabilities, ADD, all the rest. These are all new phenomena. They're not, they were not around in the 1950s and 60s, and even in the early 70s. And uh, so we have disaffected young people who are not well-rooted in sense, a sense of, of what is right, what is moral, what is good, what is evil. Everything is relative. And then you add into the mix psychotropic drugs, as you say. If you take a look at every one of these cases that we know about, and the ones that we don't know about is because that hasn't been admitted, going back to Columbine, going back to all of them, they right. were all on drugs, all on uh, some kind of controlled substance. These are very highly concentrated, very powerful substances. Uh, I'm not here weaving some conspiracy theory. You could just read the label. I mean, if you read the the fine well, you ever hear a commercial for one of these, Chuck, when they um, when they advertise these things, uh, these psychotropic drugs, you know, encouraging your doctor to give you one, get get you a prescription. They'll say things like it may cause thoughts of suicide and death. Well, I don't yeah. know about you, but if I see that in a label that this may want me to, this is supposed to alleviate my thoughts of suicide, not promote them, and definitely not kill me. Uh, so they're they're very dangerous drugs, and it's big big money. Big Pharma is really that if anyone should leave the public schools, it should be Big Pharma. And uh, people like Michael Moore and all the lefty pundits, uh, they're looking at they have an agenda. They want to see a disarmed America. That's their agenda. And I actually think that many of these people on the left look forward to these school shootings. I don't really think they care so much about the children. In fact, more, more I, I get his um, his tweets. And he said that he's so proud of these young people all over America who that walked out. He's so proud of them. They should lower the voting age of 16 like they do in some European country. Wait a minute now. You want you think that 16-year-olds aren't responsible to own weapons. Oh, but they're responsible to vote. And they want to raise the ability to, up to 21 to get a to get a, what they call a semi-automatic. I think we should address that too. Right. Anytime you pull a trigger and a bullet comes out, a round comes out, that's semi-automatic. I have, you know, I have a, a Ruger 22 rifle that I bought in Woolworths in downtown Boston in 1980 and went, on, went home on the subway. And I lived across the street from a public school. And I know over the years uh, when I was still living there, sometimes the students would yell stuff, yell obscenities. And I never shot anybody with that at, in the public schools. And uh, all the pe young people that I knew that had rifles never even thought of going to school with these rifles. But you put a 10-round magazine and you can fire 10 rounds and then change it pretty quickly. So it can be very lethal. And the idea that it doesn't look like a, uh, a military weapon, that's just they put a hand grip on it. They say it's a military-grade weapon, but an AR is not. And, in fact, if you look at the statistics, first off, the, the gun crimes are going down a whole lot all over the country. The murder rate's going down, except in certain places like inner cities. But we can't discuss that because then you can call names. Um, right. the, the, the number of crimes that are used by ARs are infinitesimal, uh, infinitesimal very, very few. Um, most of the crimes are used by handguns. Most of the murders are used by handguns. And so th those are the things we have to deal with. And why is it? I mean, there are laws against murder and people are still murdering. And like you said, there's a moral factor that's not being addressed here. What prompts a person to get be so distraught? I mean, these people, as Sam Blumenfeld will say, they live in the greatest country in the world. They have more access to things. You know, these schools today, of course, the school's the problem. But, you know, they have Sam, they have shopping malls. They have computers. They have movies they have all these great things 
and yet they're still miserable. Why is that? Well, because the public schools teach them that they live in a purposeless and immoral and different universe, that there are no absolutes right and wrongs, um, that the, uh, our country is evil and it's wicked. It was founded by uh, Eurocentric white males that own slaves and all these negative things. And that's what they hear day in and day out. Then they turn on the media, they turn on the mass media, they hear the same thing. And they say, well, it must be the gun. The gun's the problem. The availability of guns is so easy. And you're right. It's not easy to get guns today like it was back, um, you know, 10, 15, 20, uh, <coughs> 30 years ago when uh, these things in public schools were unheard of. Well, you know, hell, I, I think that it is more difficult today to get guns than it was. And um, I actually may not 100% agree with you here in that I think that it's not unreasonable to regulate AR-47s, you know, the AK-47s or AR-15s or any of these weapons. I do think that they you can make the argument that they are military-grade weapons. And from my reading of the Second Amendment, a well-regulated militia means that, first of all, the militia, the way the Founding Fathers meant militia was any male over the age of 18 was a militia. Uh, but the well-regulated part was that they had to be outstanding citizens. You know, no, they yeah, that's be, right. You know, well, they couldn't be involved with, they couldn't have a criminal record. So I think that there can be some regulation in terms of a more vigorous background check, perhaps even maybe, uh, you know, some training going in before someone gets a weapon like that. Uh, you know, some even some psychological testing, frankly, to be sure that the person involved, you know, qualifies just like, you know, we, we, and it should be regulated on a state level, just like the way we, we would get an automobile, you know, a license to drive a car. You well, know, let me let, let me address the let me address the Second Amendment. I tell people that the Second Amendment didn't give us a right to protect a right that already belonged to us. It simply said that Congress that it says that a well-regulated militia being necessary for the defense of a free state, the right to keep bear arms not be infringed. That means Congress can't mess with that. Every state has a constitution. And all of these constitutions that I've seen, I haven't looked at all 50, but I've looked at all, a lot of them. In some cases, the wording is even stronger. The right to keep and bear arms should not be questioned. Now, we understand that not every right is uh, the right to free speech doesn't give me the right to go out and uh, utter obscenities and destroy your character and make up stories. Because you have, you have act, you know, libel or uh, slander or what have you. So you're right in that case. But the, uh, the Second Amendment didn't give me that right. And a militia, that's a good issue, too, because in those days, it was up in Congress. And the Constitution hasn't been changed in the either. Article 1, Section 8 says that Congress's job is to make sure states have militias and that they, they write the rules and regulations for them. And well-regulated means basically that that militia unit knows how to perform their duties. Just uh, and a milit what happened was in 1903 uh, the Dick Act was passed, Congressman Dick, and they they reformed, they renamed the militia. It, they turned into the National Guard. The militia was never supposed to be a National Guard. It was never supposed to be used outside of the United States. But as we became more of an empire, uh, they figured, well, gee, you know, we have all these soldiers. Uh, these militia people, but we can't take Massachusetts militia and bring them down to uh, Cuba. You know, we can't bring them to the Philippines. Right. So uh, we can only use them in the United States and, and certain conditions when the when the Congress or the president may call them out to put down insurrections or what have you. Uh, and every able-bodied male, with some exceptions, but it was all organized locally. 
So the minute you turned it, when you turned 18, Chuck, you didn't have to go to the recruiter. They would find you and say, hey, well, maybe we have enough now as our population is growing. Maybe we have, a, we don't need you, but hey, we should give you some, some training, what have you, and so if need be. So the militia structure has been totally, totally changed. But it's important to point out that Second Amendment protects the right. It doesn't give us that right. Now, well, states have uh, very strict, most states have very strict laws and rules, waiting periods. Uh, in, in, in Boston, you know, you have to you have to take a course and how to fire that weapon before you can. And the the, the uh, in the whole state of Massachusetts, each each uh, police chief has discretion. They can just deny you because they don't like the way you look. And some police chiefs that are very conservative will say, "Hey, as long as you, you don't have a police record." And I do agree. If you have a con some con uh, felony convictions, or you are have some kind of mental I illnesses, you shouldn't be with a weapon. And you know, it's interesting. I just read recently that. If you're using mar uh, mar uh, medical marijuana, I think that's what state it was in, but uh, they won't uh, allow you to have a gun or a weapon. Uh -huh. So it's kind of all these people that are flocking to these pot shops now. Yeah, you, you smoke marijuana, and then you're probably going <laughs> to lose your right to keep bear arms. Well, that's, that's certainly ironic, isn't it? It certainly uh, is. And that, of course, Hal, you're bringing up an important question, which is the fact that the Constitution, and we should remind people, it doesn't grant rights. The Constitution simply recognizes God-given natural rights. That was an under, understanding by the founding generation. Right. It's something that's obvious to anyone who observes nature. I mean, you know, animals understand property rights. You know, try to interfere with the property of a dog, as I've said. I mean, this it's... You know, My these dog will bite you if you go after her, after her food source. It doesn't matter how, <laughs> how much food, but if she try to take her food away, she's going to turn on you. Oh, yeah. Uh, exactly. So animals understand a beaver protects his dam, a bird protects its nest. I mean, these are natural rights, observable in nature. It's not uh, the fact that, you know, the left would try to abolish these rights or say the state has the right to grant them is the most basic proof of how their whole philosophy is false. And is based on on fool's ideas. So given the fact that that the Constitution recognizes already existing rights in that context, I think you are illustrating that the states have the constitutional responsibility to and the local you know, the local uh, cities and towns are preferably the sheriffs have the responsibility to regulate those rights. And in the case of the uh, the Parkland shooter, of course, we find out that uh, he would have had a criminal record if the government had functioned properly, but because of Obama and Eric Holder doing this pilot program that was being experimented with in Parkland, Florida, which uh, basically reduced the number of people arrested or giving or the number of people having a record, a criminal record in high school because they felt that it was discriminating against minorities and that it would hurt their record, they, they would basically be involved with a situation where somebody had committed a crime and the police were told to just let them go or to give them you know, a private reprimand. And this is how this guy slipped through the cracks because otherwise he would have had a, a record. I mean, he was involved in several instances of, of uh, physical abuse. I guess he beat up his mother a couple of times. He was talking about a very bad guy who would have had a record, but because of this program, I think they call it Operation Promise or some utopian name. He slipped through the cracks, and as a result, he was able to get a gun. Because if he had had a record, he wouldn't have been able to have gotten a gun as easily. Oh, he could have simply stole one, too. 
Either you either you get one through legal channels or you steal one, and or have or borrow one or have a friend loan him one or what have you. So he probably no matter what he may have been able to get that. I mean, look at look at Eric Holder and Obama. They made it possible for uh, for uh, Mexican drug dealers to get guns, and they used it against. Um, against some of our border patrol people. So uh, right. getting the gun isn't the problem. It's, uh, but the system failed. All the system that was set up to keep those people safe, those young people safe in that school, failed. Uh, I think there were, there was, uh, the FBI was notified about this young man's behavior. The local police, they totally ignored it. And then when he comes out and do, does something like this that nobody yeah. expects, it's not his fault. It's not the sheriff's fault. The deputy sheriff or the man who was ordered, either was ordered to stand down or stood down. Uh, it's the gun. It's the weapon. It's the NRA. The NRA are mass murderers. And, and, and the kid himself that. called the authorities and said, I'm going to kill someone. And they ignored it. I mean, yep. how much more do they need to, 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 to do something? But yep. yes, I, I mean, it, it was just say. The agenda is disarmament that's been on the it's interesting and you're probably aware of this in 1961 the u.s state department came out with state department document 7277 it was uh, authorized by john kennedy and it said three steps to have a, a standing royal army and then civilian disarmament the only people allowed that would be allowed to own weapons would be those of approved types by the u.n to be used by Police forces, and that is the agenda. People don't want to talk about it; they want to philosophize and say people they're just wrong on it. But there is an agenda, and you have to understand that. Yeah, I mean, look at, at the Constitution, as you point out, how allows local communities to regulate um, things like, like uh, you know, weapons and whatnot. Not certainly the federal government at all, and certainly not some sort of international agency. So. I'm glad you're pointing that out. But getting back to the By subject. By the way, you can find students. that 7277. Yep. Go online. It's like a 15, 16-page report. And uh, Freedom from War, that's the, that's the name of the document. And uh, the bottom line is that individuals don't start wars. Governments start wars. And the only way to stop wars is for governments to stop you know, creating war. And, and then sometimes a war is just. And we can argue which wars are just and non-just, but it's too big. That, that's really the last thing you want to do is go to war. That's when everything else breaks down. And uh, there has been time when we had to go to war, and it was justified. But there's been a lot of other wars that we've been involved in, these UN, UN wars that are undeclared that have not. We're still in Korea, for goodness sakes. and war never ended. It's just been a, a truce. So. That's right. And that's you know that gets into the whole subject of why... President Trump is under attack by the establishment, including the liberal Republican establishment, to a degree that, I mean, I've never seen this intense. And, you know, there's a certain amount of suggestivity and even, frankly, I'm going to say it, mind control involved in the type of attack he's under because average people have become, for lack of a better word, they're deranged. I mean, I think you've seen this. Well, you know, it's interesting. A gentleman was walking down the street, and uh, someone in the neighborhood, we con were conversing, and he said, Trump is racist. I said, uh, okay, give me some evidence. He had none. And he said, what about him? Did say, I mean, did, did he, was he a Klansman? I actually posted, I found a couple of interesting videos on YouTube. One of them was a video 
of uh, Jesse Jackson. This would be 1998 or 97. Uh, praising Donald Trump for his support of hiring minorities and giving them good pay in, 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 in his businesses. And then um, the famous heavyweight championship fight, Mike Tyson and, um, oh, uh, the man he beat in one round. But they fought at Trump at a Trump hotel, and Donald Trump is in the ring, and there's Muhammad Ali and Mike Tyson and a lot of black fighters from the past and so forth, and they're all pr singing his praises. I'm thinking, well, if this guy was a screaming racist, why would uh, he, you know, he, he would be in the ring with all of these black people? You know? Oh, I mean, look, Hal, the whole charge is absurd, and it's, it's an ugly smear that's brought up against anyone that doesn't goose step to the left. But in the case of Trump, it's particularly odious, given the fact that the New York Times, they sent out some reporters to investigate Trump's businesses figuring they were going to find, you know, all lily white, you know, right. males. And they found that his businesses are, are very well integrated, both with women and with minorities at all levels, you know, including the top executives. And so they didn't do a story. They just ignored it. You know, they ignored realize, it, right. You know, because the narrative wasn't. Obviously, the facts of the matter are, as Trump himself very accurately pointed out during his State of the Union address, which was an extraordinary uh, speech that uh, African-American unemployment is at the lowest level today that it's ever been since they've been recording unemployment levels. And that uh, his popularity has increased in the black community, particularly among black men. I think it's up to almost 20%. Now there's a long way to go. That's right. But this is where Trump is the biggest threat to the left. The fact is that minorities and millennials too, I point out, these are his natural constituents. This is where his message should resonate the most. You know, getting rid of lowering taxes, getting rid of onerous regulation, putting in protections for American businesses, not getting involved in foreign wars, uh, you know, a pro-America, America first approach. That's exactly the thing that, that minorities more than anybody Oh, you know, should embrace and are going to embrace. And that is the biggest threat to the establishment, which is why you have this phenomena of an international and media and cultural and even business combined and orchestrated attack against him, which is unprecedented and which is resulting in a kind of almost an, a behavioral modification by masses of people. Mm -hmm. so I certainly, you know, understand that anytime any Republican is going to be subjected to a certain amount of a hate campaign, right? I mean, we all remember like the last two years of the Bush administration. I remember the hate campaign against Reagan. Oh, all absolutely. Years, right. You know, and the investigations and the hatred and the belittling. And we certainly remember what happened to Richard Nixon. He wasn't even that conservative, but nevertheless... Yeah. The, you know, they were ready out there. It was like with, with, with uh, you know, torches, ready to burn him at the stake. I mean, I'm even old enough to remember the whispers about Barry Goldwater. He's a Nazi. You know, he's going to blow up the world. He actually was a man of, I think he was Jewish. He was but, a, I mean, nothing like this all pales in comparison to what's going on with Trump. And I think it's because Trump really is in a position. He's a revolutionary figure. He's really taken a position where he has – the, the tools to, to actually implement what he's talked about. They've all talked about, you know, securing the southern border. I mean, Obama talked about this. 
but everybody knows he Bill didn't Clinton did too. I, I, again, YouTube is great because you can actually find stuff that you couldn't have access to before it was created. That's you can right. Find Bill Clinton giving a State of the Union address, calling for secure border. Nancy Pelosi, the same thing. Our borders Ooh. are porous, and we need to secure our borders and help the American workers so their jobs aren't being taken away. And that that sort of thing. Oh yeah, even Obama said this, but everybody knew that he didn't mean it. No, you know, it's all racist when you when you articulate that. Somehow well, it's because like Trump actually means it. He's, he's a plain spoken person who is, you know, putting some teeth behind it. He's not just engaging. They all want the liberals to lie about these things. They figure it's boo bait for the bubbles, you know. Mm-hmm. That's but right. with Trump, he's actually doing it. So the result is that people, average people, and I've come across it. I know you have too. That they're just they become deranged. It's almost like an imbalance. It's like they're absolutely out of their minds. I mean, they won't even mention his name in public or even privately. It's like they're so angry that I don't know how they get through a day like that. It's well, insane. You know, as a constitutionalist, there haven't been too many presidents that I can point to and say these guys are upheld their oath in my lifetime anyway. I may go back to Calvin Coolidge, uh, you know, right. uh, you know, but that's a long time. But uh, and he had his issues. He wasn't perfect either. But um, it is. But let's go back a little bit to the gun control issue or the Second Amendment issue. Um, one, there was a book written by a, a Florida professor. His last name was Glick, I think. G L I C K. More guns means less crime. Initially, he was in favor of strict gun control, and he did a report and he looked at all the states and the stats and the figure FBI reports, and he concluded that the more guns there are, the less crime there is. And you look at states like Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, states that have a very large per capita gun ownership, whatever that may be, three or four weapons per, per person. And the, and the gun violence, the cr- cr- violent crime is very, very low. You very seldom hear of a murder in Vermont um, or any of these other states. And if it does, it's usually a crime of passion, not some drive-by shooting. And that's part of the culture living in these these states that dad has a gun, a rifle, a weapon. He teaches you when you're a child, you learn respect for that. That is a da- that's a potential dangerous weapon. It's a tool that could kill. So you have respect for that. It's something that's ingrained. You, I go to a, ra- a, ra- a privately owned range, and there's more gun discipline than there is in a, in a military range. And that when I went in the army. You know, there were certain protocols and discipline you on the range. I see that even more so. In, the, in the, You never point a weapon. You always assume it's loaded, this sort of thing. And the number of uh, gun accidents have gone down a lot, too, as people become more informed about thing, these kinds of things and more educated. So uh, and I, I don't think they've ever done a study, but I'd love to see a study based on the square mileage, where crime is being committed per square mile. And we, we know that most of the gun crime, violent crime, is committed in certain cities, and not even the whole city, but certain neighborhoods in certain cities. But again, you can't articulate this message because you'd be construed as racist or what have you. But in Chicago, the, you know, at the south side of Chicago is where most of this violent crime is happening. 
in Boston, it's uh, usually Dorchester, Roxbury, Mattapan. And, the, and it happens in other But for the most part, most of the murders are happening in these communities that are minority communities. And it's too bad that minorities are the ones that are suffering the most. If anybody should be armed to defend themselves, it should be minorities. And it's interesting, too, the history of gun control, the history of anti-Semitism, and the history of racism. And I'm not suggesting that everybody supports gun control as an anti-Semite or racist, but, you know, uh, in the 1840s, in the wake of uh, the Nat Turner slave insurrection, they made it very difficult for blacks, free blacks and slaves to own, to, to carry weapons. They used to, I mean, the slaves would go hunting, you know, on, on, on the estate. They, they carry weapons and never thought about using them against their owners. And then after that, they, they made it very, even after the Civil War, they had what they call black coats, you know, making it difficult for uh, certain people. And in New York City in the early 1900s, the Sullivan Code, uh, they didn't want immigrants to own weapons. You know, they didn't want Italian immigrants or Irish immigrants. So, uh, and we know what happened in Nazi Germany, the, you know, the gun control. Although the Nazis did invent gun control, it was something around a long time. Absolutely. Obama, in fact, my understanding is that one of the reasons the NRA was set up right after the Civil War was to help black people get guns. That's right. Exactly. Um, in fact, so, you know, there was an ancestor of mine that was actually a Civil War general. He was uh, he organized the first all black regiment in Ohio, and there's a statue of him in Oberlin where he was a professor, and, and he ended up give, donating some, his house to the school. There's a statue of him, and it was going to be initially it was going to be a statue of uh, General Shirtliff handing a black man a, a, a weapon because he wow. believed he said these people they, they have to fight for their freedom. And that's Incredible. why he was, a, you know, he was a very uh, staunch abolitionist. But he believed that the the man, the black man, should be armed to defend himself. And now you have these most of these black leaders. It's amazing. It's interesting too. They hate Donald Trump. He's evil. He's a Nazi. He's a racist. He's a Klansman. Yet they want to give him more power to disarm people in the inner cities. That doesn't make any sense to me. No, I mean, in fact, as you point out, the, the, the largest gun-owning state in the Union in terms of per capita, the number of people to, who own guns versus the population, is none other than Bernie Sanders' Vermont. Vermont. That's right. And New Hampshire and Maine, these are liberalish states, big gun-owning states, um, you know, it's, and whereas the most heavily regulated areas like Chicago and Washington, D.C., have the highest level of, of gun of crimes with with a gun is used in the commission of the crime, and most of the guns involved in those crimes are illegal. That's um, right. I think that if people genuinely want to support gun control, they would support the very difficult and and painful and dangerous work of going into these inner cities and clearing out people who are in possession of illegal guns, and that's a, not an easy job to do, but. That's how you get a handle on gun control. And by um, the way, you don't see any inner city gangbangers going to gun shows in rural areas and buying guns and bring. That's not happening. Uh, I we have tables and we have information tables at gun shows over the years, and uh, it black people come to gun shows, but you don't see it, and they still you can't just pick up you know. Uh, load up your truck and get a bunch of rifles and bring them to Boston or bring them to New York. It's just not happening. That's the myth that they want you to believe. Is, is uh, So they want to be able to clamp down on these things, too. Exactly. So, Hal, we've, we've kind of covered the lot here in terms of the uh, 
the social underpinnings of, of young people going into the school and shooting their fellow students um, and the, the type of education, the liberal change agent education that has contributed to that, the stripping away of belief, the stripping away of the Constitution, of moral standards. Um, we talked about gun control. We talked about, you know, the, uh, the agenda on an international level to disarm America, the use of some of these Parkland kids by putting them up as spokespeople uh, and, and, and sending them out there. And of course they're, you know, they're taken in by that. You know, I, I want to sort of wrap it up. So I'd like you to talk a little bit about uh, what you're up to hell in terms of uh, camp constitution. I see you have a big flyer behind you. It's a, oh, yes, that's, uh, yeah. talk uh, about what, what, what's up with that. Well, uh, we have a wonderful week, week-long family camp in uh, Pittsfield, Massachusetts, August fifth to the eleventh. <clears throat> and this year we have a, a very good. We have a good lineup every year, but this year we have as guest instructors we have uh, Lord Christopher Monckton, the British Lord, uh, who is very big on the Brexit. Oh yeah, very interesting. Uh, yeah, he's quite a man. He's a very humorous man as well. And we have Mrs. Chris Ann Hall, who's a constitutional attorney. She travels all over the country. When she, she's not at her uh, in Haiti with her Christian mission there, she's traveling around the country teaching people about the Constitution. And we have Professor Willie Soon, who'll be a great guest for you at some point. He's uh, uh-huh. out of um, Harvard Smithsonian. He's returning. Uh, he's one of the top experts on climate climate change. Actually, I call him a climate realist. And we have Dr. Dick Pesta. Uh, so oh, good. Dr. You know, Dr. Duke, uh, it will be, he's just going to be in camp for a couple of days. He can't spend the whole week. So this will be the first time he's there and the first time the British Lord. And we have people like John McManus and uh, Reverend Stevie Kraft and Pastor Earl Wallace and some other uh, instructors. It's a great, be a great week. We have some historic tours. We're going to be taking a trip to um, the Battle of Saratoga, Battle Site, Battle of Bennington, Battle Site, and some other places. So we're looking forward to that as well. And how do people get information about it, Hal? Uh, campconstitution.net. Just um, go to our website and you get information about that. We also started a weekend camp in Maine. Uh, it's, it's a smaller venue. It's going to be in the middle of September. Uh, so we're not expecting people from around the country, but uh, it's available. that we got about 30 or 40 people uh, at that uh, weekend camp. So we hope to start other camps around the country. We have a speakers bureau and we have a great YouTube channel. We're averaging now about almost 2,000 views a day. It's really, the uh, last couple of days, it's really picked up. It's uh, very fantastic. Yeah, all the, all the interest we're getting. Well, very good. Hal Sherliff, I want to thank you for joining me this afternoon. Great talking with you, Hal. Always, Chuck. It's a pleasure. All right. Have thank a good you. day. And thanks, everybody, for watching.